You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. So open your Bible to Psalm 37. In just a few moments, we're going to stand together. I'm going to read the scripture passage for this morning, beginning with verse 18. Now, before I read this passage of scripture, let me take just a few moments to introduce the subject matter. Because in the service this morning, and I feel quite confident this evening as well, because I don't believe we'll finish this entire passage this morning, we're going to be thinking together about how our destiny, how our eternal destiny affects our earthly decisions, how our eternal destiny affects our earthly decisions, especially our earthly behavior, what we do. Where we are going has an effect upon what we are doing. Now, there is a sad misconception which is held by many people regarding salvation and especially what we often call eternal security. Now, for the uninitiated, that means that once you come to know Christ as your Savior, once you receive Him as Lord of your life, you are eternally secure. You are born into the family of God, and just as no family member can unbirth themselves and become a non-family member, so you as a member of God's family are forever a part of that family. It doesn't mean that your behavior is going to be perfect. Family members' behavior never is absolutely perfect. Sometimes parents deal with children in discipline. Sometimes they're so delighted in them that they bless them, but they're always a member of the family. And the Bible tells us that when we are born into the family of God, we are eternally secure. Sometimes you hear the phrase, once saved, always saved. Well, that's what that phrase means. We are eternally secure. We have received eternal life. We have received everlasting life. Now, the Scripture teaches this uh, in no uncertain terms, and you need to understand that. For instance, the Lord Jesus over in the uh, uh, sixth chapter of John's Gospel, beginning with verse 37, says something like this, all the Father gives to me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Of course, some people who are still struggling with that say, well, what if you chose to leave? Well, you go down two verses, and Jesus says this, and this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose none. All the Father gives me will come to me. I'll cast none of them out. As a matter of fact, I will lose none of them. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, that when we are born into the family of God, that we receive the earnest of the Spirit. Sometimes we talk about earnest money. It is a deposit. The word actually there is an Aramaic word. It's the word arabon. It means a, a deposit that is a guarantee, a deposit that is forfeited. In other words, if you don't come through on your end of the deal, well, then you forfeit your deposit. Well, God is so confident in what he's doing that he literally invests a part of himself, his Spirit, his Holy Spirit, in every believer. That is the deposit. That is the guarantee for God not to come through on his end of what he says he will do in our salvation would mean that he would forfeit the Spirit, which means that God would cease to exist. So your salvation is as secure, if you're truly a part of God's family, it is as secure as the very existence of of God himself. That's why we call it eternal life, not life that lasts through two bad habits, three shortcomings, two big failures, four or five gross sins, but it is eternal life. Now, 
there are a lot of people who struggle with that for this reason. Here's what they say. If a person receives salvation and then is eternally secure, well, then what motivation does that person have to, uh, to live a godly life? I mean, why not go ahead and receive Christ Jesus as your Savior and then just live like the devil? And so there are many people who struggle with the doctrine of eternal security because they believe it robs from the believer the, the primary motivation for godly behavior. Now, let's think about that from two or three different angles, and then we're going to come to the Scripture. In the first place, uh, let me ask you, for whom do you do your best work, or out of what motivation? Out of fear or out of love and security? Well, fear will motivate you for a little while, but never for very long. Actually, you do your best work when you are secure. If you don't believe that, uh, go up on uh, some building and try to wash the windows without scaffolding or without safety belts and see whether you concentrate on washing windows or holding on. Uh, the truth of the matter is, once you know that you're secure, you can focus on the job at hand. And so, just from a matter of pure logic, it doesn't make sense to say you do your best work if you're always motivated by the fear of falling. Uh, secondly, I, I would have to say that I know a number of people who say, well, I was a Christian, but I lost my salvation. And their motivation is, look, I'm going to have to get saved all over again anyway. I might as well do what I want. And so, that really doesn't work very well anyway. Besides that, it is contrary to the Scripture to believe that you do your best work when you're motivated out of fear of losing your salvation. Now, the Scripture deals with this, as I said, in no uncertain terms, and we're going to look at that in these next few moments. You're going to see how your behavior is indeed moved toward godliness if your life is changed by Christ. Now, you've got to understand that a person who's born again is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away, all things become new. You have a new nature in Christ. But does your eternal destiny really affect your earthly behavior? Does it really? Well, well let's, let, let me paint you a picture for just a few moments and see whether our destiny affects our behavior. Let's imagine that you are seated in a, in a hotel lobby and uh, over there in another chair in this lobby is a very handsome-looking gentleman. Uh, he's he's well-dressed, immaculate as a matter of fact, and uh, seems to have a very affable, easy-going air about him. And uh, you've just watched him off and on as you've been seated there in the hotel lobby. And pretty soon, the elevator doors open and out comes a, a young lady who is just strikingly beautiful. And I don't mean just in the glamorous sense of the word, but, but, but there's just a beauty about her. There's just a radiance about this young lady. I mean, she immediately catches your attention. And you assume that this young lady is going out to meet that young man. Well, as a matter of fact, the young man gets up out of the chair and he walks over to her. He too is just smitten with her. And he says, pardon me, uh, uh, we, we've never met, but, but I'd like to introduce myself. And she says, I'm not interested. Well, this is the first time anybody's ever told this good-looking hunk that they're not interested in him. I mean, this is really a shock to him. He said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, I don't mean to be rude, but, but um, would, would, would you like to just sit down and visit a little bit? I'd, I'd like to get to know you. And she said, I'm sorry. I don't want to get to know you. Well, this is really a shock to him. He says, well, look, 
maybe not now, maybe you're busy right now, but could I have your phone number? She said, I wouldn't give you my phone number if I'd already moved away from where I used to live. My old phone number. She said, I, I'm not interested in giving you my phone. Well, could, could I meet you tonight at this hotel and take you out to supper? She said, I wouldn't eat supper with you for anything in all the world. I'm not interested in eating supper with you. This is such a strange behavior on part of this lady. And, and he says, look, I, I, look I, I just would like to get to know you. And she said, well, look, I want to tell you something. I'm not interested in getting to know you. Now, you need to get out of my way. And he said, well, are, are you going someplace? She says, as a matter of fact, I am going someplace. You see, today is the day that I'm getting married and my groom is waiting for me at the altar and I'm catching that cab out of there. I'm not interested in you or anybody else but my groom. So Buster, buzz off. And with that, she walks out the doors of the hotel, gets in the car and drives away. Now, there's a picture of a young lady whose destiny affects her decisions, affects the way she behaves. She's not interested in him. Now, the church is the bride of Christ. We are spoken for. We are committed to him. He is committed to us. We are his. We are on our way to spending our eternity with the Lord Jesus in heaven one day. And because that is our eternal destiny, it has a great effect upon our earthly behavior. Now, that is precisely what this passive scripture that we're going to read is all about. And so with that in mind, would you stand with me and we're going to begin reading with verse 18. Psalm 37, beginning with verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright. Their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume... Into smoke they shall consume away. The wicked borrows and pays not again, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man, you, you have the word good man there. The, the word in the Hebrew really means almost a strong man or a warrior but obviously he's speaking about the righteous man. And so you have there maybe italicized in your Bible, good man, the steps of a man, a strong man, a godly man, are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves judgment and forsakes not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of judgment. The law of the Lord is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Once again, verses which so show the marked contrast between evil and good. The unrighteous and the righteous, the wicked and those who are the children of God, the people of faith. Father, my prayer is that in these next few moments, as we bow before you, that you would do a great work in the heart of each one of us. 
Father, show us that our eternal destiny does affect our earthly behavior. Father, I believe that there are some here this morning who would say, well, if going to heaven is supposed to make a difference in the way you behave, I must not be going to heaven because my behavior is certainly not like the behavior of a person who's going to spend forever with God. It is not righteous behavior. And Father, I pray that these words would be words of encouragement to us this morning. Show us that where we're going affects what we are doing. And I pray, Heavenly Father, at the close of this service that you would bring to this altar those who would say yes to that which you've spoken of their heart. And I pray these things in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. And I want to ask you to keep your Bible open to Psalm 37 as we think about the fact that our earthly destiny does affect, or rather our eternal destiny does affect our earthly behavior. Now, with your Bible open to Psalm 37, let's look first of all at this whole issue of your eternal destiny. Let's establish where, at this present time, you are headed in order to spend your eternity. Have you established that in your heart? Have you thought about that very much? Uh, I asked a man on an airplane some time ago if he thought about spiritual things. And he said, I try not to think about things like that. And I said, well, why uh, do you not like to think about spiritual things? He said, it scares me to think about spiritual things. I said, well, why does it scare you to think about spiritual things? He says, I know one of these days there's going to be an accounting, and I am sure I'm not ready. Now, now he was voicing the heart of many, many people. And it could be that this morning you, you have put off thinking about spiritual things, and one of the reasons is that you have not established your eternal destiny. Now, in two verses right at the beginning of this text, we see a contrast between those who are righteous and those who are wicked and the eternal destiny of each of them. Every once in a while, someone says to me, Brother Tom, I'm not sure that any man can know where he's going to spend his eternity. I think he can hope that he goes to heaven. I think he can want to go to heaven. And he can, in fact, he can want with all of his might that he's going to heaven, but I don't think he can know that he's going to heaven. Well, the Scripture says you can. 1 John 5, 13 says, in fact, these things are written unto those of you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, what two possible destinies could any of us have here this morning? Well, look first of all at verse 18. And in verse 18, we find the destiny of the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright. Now, these are people who received Jesus Christ as their Savior. These are people who have repented of sin because the Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God and received what Jesus did on the cross and received Christ himself as their Savior. For you see, Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. I can't die for you. You can't die for me. So what happened? Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God, died on the cross of Calvary. He didn't deserve to die, didn't owe God the wages of sin, which is death. He died for us. And with his death, he purchased heaven for all who would believe in him. Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
And so those in the Bible who are truly righteous receive their righteousness by faith in the Lamb of God, faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, what is their eternal destiny? The Lord knows the days of the upright. Their inheritance shall be forever. They have an eternal inheritance. Now, it's hard for you and me to comprehend eternity because everything we know about uh, has a beginning and an ending, has a birth and a death. It's hard for us to think about something having always been and something always being. I want to remind you that God is the Creator. He is beyond that which He created. The Creator is always greater than the creation. And time is built into our creation. The reason that everything that we know about has time in it is because it is built into creation, whether it's the earth spinning on its axis, revolving around the sun, all the ways we measure time, they are based upon God's creation. But the Creator is beyond time. It's very difficult for us to think of something that is beyond time, but that doesn't mean that it's not there and that he is not there and that there is not such a thing as an eternity. It's very hard for you and me to comprehend things that we've never seen. And it's very hard for us to comprehend something we've never experienced, but that doesn't mean that something we've seen is not there and something we've not experienced is not in existence. Well, God is in existence. He is eternal. He is everlasting. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he, he always was, He always will be, a hard mystery. But Jesus said, listen, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And every time Jesus describes that place, He describes it with words which have to do with eternity. For instance, He said, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That's what the wicked do. But what? Have everlasting life. Paul said the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so it is a forever. Now, that is the destiny of those who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They are with God in heaven Forever. Now, can you say, preacher, I know without question there's a specific point of time in my life when God began to convict me of my sin, I repented of my sin, and believed in Jesus Christ. I didn't just believe He lived. I received Him by faith as my Savior. I accepted what He did on the cross as payment for my sins. He is my Savior. He is the Lord of my life. That would put you in the category of the righteous who have an eternal inheritance. But notice the contrast in verse 20. The wicked, on the other hand, quite different. They don't have an eternal inheritance in heaven with God. The wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. They shall consume away. The wicked, those who never repent of their sin, those who never receive Christ as their Savior, will not spend their forever with God in heaven. They will spend their forever separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. It is a place of eternal judgment and torment for those who have rejected Jesus. Someone says, well, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Well, as a matter of fact, God in His love has done everything that a loving God could or should do to see that no one spends their eternity in hell. 
As a matter of fact, he has brought you to this service this morning where you can hear once again how his son came to this earth to die on the cross for your sins so that you might escape the eternal judgment of your sins, which is hell forever. And so have you established your eternal destiny? man said to me one time, he said, well, I'm trying to decide. I'm trying to decide. He said, you know, I realize I'm at a crossroads. You know, it's either heaven or hell. He said, I'm in a sort of a quandary. And I said, let me give you a little bit of information that's going to help you in your decision-making process. You are not at a crossroads where you can decide between heaven or hell. You are a sinner already on the road toward hell. You have the option of choosing heaven. Now, there are many people who think, well, I'm just sort of back here looking at this objectively, and it's either heaven or hell. No, you are already on the road to hell. Every day that you live without receiving Christ leaves you one more day to repent of, one less day to repent in. And so you have this option this morning, for instance, if you have not established it, to establish your eternal destiny, those Two destinies which we see contrasted there in verses 18 and 20 of this particular selection out of Psalm 37. Now, which is yours? If you say this morning, I have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ. God, by His Holy Spirit, has brought conviction to my heart. By His grace, He has given me the faith to believe in Jesus. The Bible says, by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And so God has given me the grace. I have believed in Jesus Christ and received his grace, which is amazing grace. And I am on my way to heaven. I know, Brother Tom, one of these days I'm going to spend forever with God in heaven. I may die. If I die, I'm going to go be with the Lord. I may stay alive until Jesus comes. If so, when he comes, I'm going to join those who are going to go to heaven. I'll hear the trump of God, the shout, the voice of the archangel, and when the dead in Christ rise, then those of us who are alive, the Bible says, will be gathered together with them to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And you say, I know that's me. I am a part of the bride of Christ. I'm on my way for that wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if that's the case, then it will have a radical effect upon your behavior. Your eternal destiny makes a difference in your earthly behavior. And one of the evidences that a person is truly born again is that his behavior changes, her behavior changes. Now, we're not saved by our works, but neither are we saved by a faith that doesn't produce good works. And what we find in these verses down through verse 33 are seven areas of our life in which our behavior will be radically changed if we are truly born again, all right? So we're going to be looking at these seven areas of, of our life in which our behavior will be radically changed if we are truly born again. Well, what are those ways? Well, the first area has to do with your fears. Your fears and the way that you conquer your fears. Notice, if you will, in verse 19. These who are righteous, he says, shall not be ashamed. In other words, they will not be disappointed. They'll not let be let down in the evil or the wicked time. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. 
Every once in a while, I will be visiting with someone, sometimes a believer in Christ, and we'll be talking about the future. And they will something, they'll say something like this, well, I have real concerns about the future. And the more that I talk with them, the more I, I begin to realize they don't have just concerns. They're not just concerned or anxious about the future. They are really just slap dab worried about the future. They are afraid of the future. Now, it's interesting here that the psalmist deals with two fears which are most common to us. One has to do with the fear of moral calamity. People will say, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. The other has to do with physical calamity or physical, physical need. He says, now there will be an evil time. There are evil times out there in the future, times when the world is going to come unraveled. As a matter of fact, it's going to end in that kind of a time. One of these days, these days of tribulation will occur. But even now, there are times when it looks like why, that injustice is ruling and not justice. The Bible says that uh, the righteous rejoice when the king is righteous. And, and yet, there are times when our hearts are grieved when what we see is not righteousness in positions of leadership, but unrighteousness. And we begin to see how it infiltrates every area of our government. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when a king is unrighteous, all of his princes, all those who serve him, are also unjust or unrighteous, you see. It filters down. And so people look in the future, and I, I've sat with people, and they said, man, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Man, we are headed for terrible times. And every piece of legislation that passes, you say, well, Brother Tom, should we just lie down, roll over, and play? Absolutely not. As believers in Christ, we have a responsibility to be salt, to be light, to exercise all that is given through us through the wonderful constitution of our nation, to bring about changes for godliness and righteousness. On the other hand, if you are truly a child of God, you can know this, no matter what happens in the history of the world in this nation or in any other nation, during bad times, believers do not have to be disappointed in their God. You will never have to worry about going out and picking up a newspaper and reading that God has let you down and reading that the Lord Jesus has been caught in moral infidelity or a lack of moral integrity. In the very worst of times, you have someone to whom you can go, a refuge in the time of storm. The righteous, he says here, will not be disappointed in the evil day. The other side of the coin, he says, what about physical problems? There are many people who say, you know, as I look out in the future, I just see all kinds of, of things. And some of you are worried about your, your own physical well-being. Others of you are worried about the physical well-being of the nation. And, maybe, and, and I think there's a sense in which we all should be. We ought to be alert. We ought to be prepared. But he says, even in the day of famine, notice what he says here, even in the day of famine, they shall be satisfied. Now, now let, me, let me go on record here. Because I, I think there's an issue which needs to be addressed that, that is so very important, and especially during this time of the year. I am a firm believer in doing everything we can to help people with physical needs. You know that. Those of you who are members of this church, you know that. You know that a good uh, portion of my life has been spent in helping to meet needs of people. I've spent many many hours and days in Africa when we were living there delivering food to people who would not have it otherwise. So I believe in meeting needs. I, I don't want any of you to think that I don't. However, let me tell you this. If the gospel 
is not shared. If people do not find themselves at the same time they are handed bread confronted with the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the end, all you're doing is sending people who are better fed to hell. The other side of that coin is this. If a person, man or woman, young man, young lady, whoever that person is, if a person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior or as her Savior, then in a remarkable fashion, and I cannot describe to you how remarkable it is, God then also begins to undertake for that person to see that that person's needs are met. The Apostle Paul says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I want to say to you quite honestly, I know that it's hard to hear the gospel if your stomach is growling. So, once again, we are in the business. We join with others who meet need. But dear friend, do not believe that the end of it is just meeting the need if there is no gospel as a part of that. I'll be perfectly honest with you, in traveling around the world, being involved in meeting people's needs, I cannot recall, as I stand here before you, I cannot recall ever finding someone who was desperate and absolutely destitute with absolutely nothing and no way to turn who could say at the same time, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Now, I have met many people who say, well, I'm involved in some other kind of religion and I don't know about this and I don't know about that and, uh, or I, I don't believe in God whatsoever and I'm standing in this line and I'm destitute and I have the... But you know something? There's something about it when a man's heart is truly given to the Lord. I'm not talking about this name it, claim it kind of prosperity. I'm just saying that if you're a child of God, the Bible says this. The Bible says he leads them, who? His sheep, his sheep in paths of righteousness just for their benefit? No, for His name's sake. That is that the reputation of God on this earth to some extent is wrapped up in how God takes care of His sheep. That's important for us to understand that. So what are you saying, Brother Tom? I'm just saying this. I'm saying that Many of you in the first place may have fears about the future. The best thing you can do is settle where you're going to spend your forever. And I can tell you this, during the evil day, you will not be disappointed. During the time of famine, you will not go without want. Those are the two promises that relate to the two fears in verse 19. The other side of that coin is just a charge to us as a church family. What do we do when we seek to meet the needs of people physically? Always, always, always a gospel presentation. Not something that's just clipped and short and run-of-the-mill, but a genuine interest in the person involves wanting to know whether they are right with God and seeking to share the gospel of Christ with them. And I'm saying this right at the beginning of the season when sometimes the easiest thing we can do is just meet somebody's physical need and get them out of our hair. It is so important for us to understand that the needs have not really been met to the extent that God would want us to meet them until somehow we have shared the fact that God loves them and has provided for them a way of eternal life. That is so very, very important. Now, there's a second area of our behavior that's affected if we're on our way to heaven. By the way, I can't imagine somebody being on their way to heaven and not wanting other people in whatever kind of need they had to, to know their Jesus. 
not only our fears, but also, he says, it will affect the way you deal with your finances. Now, some of you all were hoping that your Christianity had nothing to do with your finances. You were just hoping that, uh, that God didn't care at all what you, how you kept books. Well, I want to tell you something. The Bible says that being truly born again will affect the way you look at your material resources. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, the wicked, what does he do? He borrows and he pays not again. What does the righteous do? On the other hand, the righteous shows mercy. He gives. And by the way, he's latched onto this promise. Such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. And what is he talking about? Those who are blessed of God inherit the earth. Those who are cursed of God are those who are cut off. Now, I want, I, I want somehow for you to open up your heart to me for just a few moments and let me share with you from my heart. What is he saying here when he says, the wicked borrows and pays not again, the righteous shows mercy and gives? A person who does not have heaven as his eternal home is focused upon the material, the here and the now, period. He's not thinking about an eternal judgment. He's not thinking about an eternal destiny. As a matter of fact, his focus is on what he can get and how he can make it in this world. The wicked borrows and pays not again. There's no skin off his nose. The, the biggest issue with him is just not getting caught not having to suffer the consequences because the name of the game is to accumulate. The name of the game is to acquire. The name of the game somehow is to get all you can and can all you get. He is not thinking about the fact that ultimately there is an accounting to a judge, the Lord Jesus, and he's going to have to give an account and the account will have eternal consequences. He is thinking solely about the material. The righteous, any man or woman who's here, who is truly born again, however, realizes that all of life is a stewardship. It's all a stewardship. God owns everything. We own nothing. You say, is that really true? Yes, it is. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God owns everything, we own nothing. You see, the wicked thinks, I own this, I own that, I'm going to take care of this, I'm going to take care of that, and the more I can get from me. No, you see, the righteous realizes God owns everything, we own nothing. Life then is a stewardship. What is God doing? God is, has me here on this earth to exercise stewardship. What does that mean? That means overseership. And to the extent that I am faithful to my master, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, in overseeing these resources that he has given me, to that extent he is committing himself to provide for all of my needs. Now, I know that one of these days my eternal destiny is to spend my forever with him. I'm not just living for this time, I'm living forever. I'm not just living to satisfy my needs. I'm actually living to satisfy that which my master has put upon me as my stewardship, my responsibility. And I'm going to give an account for that. I'm not going to give an account for what was not given me, but I am going to give an account 
for everything that was given me, whether it's time or money or opportunities or whatever it is, I'm going to give an account for what was given to me. So as an illustration of the way that a wicked person does, a wicked person will borrow. And then when he gets right down to it, he'll not pay again. He'll just say, look, I've got this. I've gotten by with it. You can't get it. There's nothing you can do. I'm going to borrow it. I'm not going to pay it again. But the righteous has a totally different view of resources. The righteous decides, wait a minute. I've got to give an account to God. I'm not just going to spend these few years here on this earth. I'm going to spend it forever with him. I have got to give an account to him for the way I deal with these material resources. And one of the things God has said is that it's a sin to borrow and not to pay again. You remember uh, some time ago when our church was going through this whole exercise of, of discovering how to deal with its, its heavy financial obligations. Now, I remember saying something like this in the pulpit. I remember saying, we want you to watch the, watch the way this is handled very carefully because the way your church handles its monetary responsibilities ought to be a signal to you or a pattern for you for the way you in your home can handle your monetary responsibilities. And so when there would be suggestions, look, why don't you walk away from it? Now, sometimes out there, you know, some of you men have been saying, well, why don't, you just, why don't you just go bankrupt or why don't you just file bankruptcy? And sometimes some of you have been forced into bankruptcy. And do you remember our statement here as a church family? No, that is, that's not an option for us as a church family because, you see, this is a responsibility for us. Now, we can go and we can say, look, we invite you, that is, those of you who, are, who, who have have provided these resources that we have used. We invite you in on the decision process and you tell us on the basis of what you see in our experience what we should do. They did. We've not missed a payment since then. As a matter of fact, we're ahead, as those of you who are around here very long know. Now, let me just say that I know some of you are laboring under this because uh, maybe you have bankruptcy in your history. Uh, we didn't do that here as church family because we didn't want to model that. We didn't want to pattern that. As I said, God just blessed us from that time. But now, some of you have that in your past. Now, some of you, maybe that was a, a something you were forced into. Others of you, maybe it was an option. But I meet any number of you all who, who have come to me personally and said, Brother Tom, what do I do about this? Now, what you're saying to me is, I have a lingering problem. Actually, you know what you're indicating? You're indicating you're a child of God because you're struggling with something that's happened in your past. And you're saying, I have a lingering problem with this. What do I do? I think that you, as a believer in Christ, back off and look at this, and you say, all right, how can I, based upon where I am right now, how can I honestly and scripturally confront those who are my creditors at a time like that? How can I go before them? How can I address them? Not running from them. See the issue? Not running from them, but instead running to them and saying on the basis of Scripture, how do I deal this? Sometimes somebody may find, they may say, well, I, I, we just forgive that. Somebody else may find, well, we'll work out terms with you. Somebody else may find. But you see what, what's happening is in your heart, because you're a child of God, you are wrestling with how do I deal with this event in my past? And I want to say there's hope for you. You, you know, there's, there's hope and there is help for you if you are struggling with that. Now, I'm not, my job is not to make you feel guilty. The job of the Holy Spirit is to use the Scripture to deal with your life. So you say, Brother Tom, what do you say? 
I'm saying that if your ambition has been to dodge debt, you've got a problem because it's the wicked who borrows and pays not again. If, on the other hand, there have been some exigencies in your life where you have either been forced into or you have just decided outright, I'm just going to declare bankruptcy, and you are uncomfortable about it, there is a cloud in your spirit. If there is a cloud in your spirit over that, then you need to get somehow some release, and the only way you're going to do that is to deal with it scripturally and to run to those people and say, look, as a godly man or a godly woman, I want to know how I can best satisfy this, how I can best deal with this. Because it's the wicked who turns his back on people from whom he's borrowed and says, I've gotten away from you, ha ha. And I'm going to enjoy life, although I'm making you miserable. See, that's the wicked view. The wicked says, I am living for me. Now, l let me tell you something. There, there, there are many people here who seated before me, and you're rather smug about all this because you say, well, that's never happened to me, and I don't ever intend for that to happen to me. But l let, me, let me tell you that this goes even deeper than that. What if you robbed God? What if you borrowed from God and didn't return to Him? I mean, it's one thing to have an earthly credit. What if you robbed from God and didn't return to Him? He said, that'd be terrible. Well, will a man rob God? I'm reading, and I'm doing this for your benefit. Will a man rob God? Uh, yet you have robbed me. And you say, wherein have we robbed you? And Jesus, or the Lord here says, in tithes and in offerings. He says, as a matter of fact, you are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me. And he's speaking to Israel. He said, even the whole nation has robbed me. Now, what, what did we read back there in Psalms? He said, the wicked... What happens? He's cut off and cursed. The righteous are blessed. Now, notice what he says. If you bring all the tithes in the storehouse, he said, do it, that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. He said, you want to be blessed? See that all of life is a stewardship. You have the responsibility of being a steward. See that you handle it properly. I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. In fact, there won't be room enough to receive it. I'll do more than that. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He will not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Notice this, and all the nations shall call you blessed by the word. By the way, that word for blessing is different than the other word for blessing. This word for blessing means blessed because you are disciplined. Isn't that interesting? The other one is blessed just because God just blessed you. This is blessed because you are disciplined. All nations shall call you blessed, for you have been a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. And so what is he saying here? He's saying a wicked man has it in his heart. I'm going to get all I can. I'm going to keep all that I get. Nobody is going to have in it. If I can get by with more, I'm going to get by with more. I'm going to use whatever I can to dodge it. If you're truly a child of God, God somehow is going to put in your spirit, there's more to be done. You are a steward of mine. And it doesn't just affect your fears and your family and your future, it affects your finances as well. You're going to have to deal with me properly, God is saying, in regard to your finances. It affects your finances. Strange quietness across this auditorium this morning. You know, it's one thing to talk, oh, my family and all this, but then when it gets down to pocketbook time, you see people say, well, wait a minute now. That's just sort of my deal. No, it's between you and God. It's not between you and the preacher and God. It's between you and God. But remember this. If you're truly born again, what does he say here? Well, let's just look at what he says here. 
in Psalm 37. Let me turn over to it as well. In Psalm 37, he says, Those who are blessed of him shall inherit the earth, they shall be, but they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The righteous shows mercy and gives, but the wicked, he's so stingy, he borrows and pays not again. Now, let me ask you what's in your heart in regard to your finances. I asked you a while ago about your fears. What about in regard to your finances? If you have heaven as your eternal home, then you should operate with your finances with the understanding that God, the righteous judge, is the one to whom you will give an ultimate account. If you are, on the other hand, wicked, going to hell, you are, your heart will be bent toward accumulating everything you can on this earth, and you could care less how you get it or do it. You see, it makes a difference, not only about your fears for the future, but about your finances in the presence. Where you're going has a whole lot to do with what you're doing, how you behave in regard to your finances. Well, we hardly got into this passage, but we've come now to invitation time. We'll deal with the rest in the next service. We'll be right back here. And you're going to see it will also affect some other areas of your life. And if I were on my way to heaven, I'd want to know what those areas were. If I had some question about whether I was on my way to heaven, I'd sure want to come tonight, be a part of that service, because I would want to know how knowing Christ will affect my life, not just in regard to my fears, my finances. We're going to look at, at your family, your plans for the future. Why is it that a believer in Christ can make big plans? Big plans. Why can you make big plans? The Bible says you can't. Make big plans. And so we're going to be looking at that this evening. In just a few moments, we're going to stand. We've come to invitation time. Your invitation to come to know Jesus. What, what is all of this about? All this is about helping you to see that it's important for you to know whether you're going to spend your forever with God in heaven. And if you do know that you are, it's going to make a difference in the way that you live today.